This is our 10th year as a church. Can you believe it? And so I've been able to preach for, for in, in October, it will be 10 years. And man, I'm so excited what that means for us as a church and what it means for our future. But I've naturally just been able to show you a few things about who I am. And um, some of you have come to know that I love a few things because they always come up in my preaching. One of them is fishing. All right, so uh, you've heard me talk about fly fishing. You've heard me talk about fishing from the shores of the Transkai, and I love it, all right? But probably the thing you've heard me speak about most from up here is food, all right? You know that I love food and not just consuming food. I love the art and the science of the cooking and the eating. And um, we've actually got someone in our life group who takes down in her journal every time I mention food. We've got someone else in the church that started saying, I need to take insurance when I come to church because every time you talk about a steak, I have to go out and eat steak or, or whatever I happen to speak about. But now there's one thing that is truly part of me. I've also spoken about music uh, absolutely a lot, but um, one thing that is part of just the things that I love that I haven't really spoken much about, I'm going to introduce by way of this. So... Um, for those of you who have kids, you might remember that the first week of school holidays last year, the end of the year, started off with about 10 days of incessant rain. All right, so, and at the same time, our internet broke. So our home, our TV, and most of our entertainment is dependent on internet. And so we've got two young kids, it is raining outside, there's no trampolining, there's no swimming, and we've all got insane cabin fever, and we kind of ran out of games and ran out of patience with one another. What are we going to do? And then I remembered there was a family, not going to tell you who they are, otherwise you might be piling up outside their home, but I remember there's a family in the church, you've got thousands of DVDs, remember those things? All right, they're like round, looks like a small LP, all right? Uh, <laughs> so... We kind of went to the home and, uh, and asked, you know, do you mind if we borrow some of these DVDs because we're desperate? And they said, yeah, for sure. Um, and one of the things Bianca and I decided to do was expose our kids to some of the movies we loved when we were like their age. All right, so I've already mentioned that we showed them uh, Home Alone 1 and 2. All right, that is awesome. We showed them the Karate Kid movie. And, uh, <laughs> and then last night we actually watched the new one. It is also just as good. But one of the movies we wanted to introduce them to was a movie that defined our generation in many ways, and that was The NeverEnding Story, all right? Some of us have permanent depression because of The NeverEnding Story and the horse dying and all that kind of thing. But you remember Trey and the Luck Dragon and uh, all, all these kinds of things. And that was, for me as a young kid, that was my first exposure into this fantasy world of other beings and other powers and this mission critical thing and this person on whom the whole fate of the world rides and, and darkness and light. And after that, I went and I mean, I think I watched it five or six times as a kid and then I read the book. And then I realized books are just as awesome and I, I got stuck into the Chronicles of Narnia. And as a young kid, I think I was about eight or nine years old, started reading C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And if you've had the, the privilege of being able to do that again, this whole world, unlike our world, opens up. This world of fantastical creatures and this world of powers and dark and light and kings and queens. And again, some children on whom the whole fate of the world rides. 
My next sort of step from there was to get stuck into the Lord of the Rings books. This was long before the movies, which are awesome in my opinion, by the way. Uh, but then about 12, 13 years old, started reading Lord of the Rings and I actually went through them twice. I loved them so much. And again, this unsuspecting hero, um, uh, you know, this hobbits from this unsuspecting part of the world. And again, powers and kings and, and kingdoms and darkness and light. And eventually there's this kind of moment where light wins. And that was kind of the step-by-step process of me getting into those kinds of books and those kinds of stories. And some of you are sitting here saying, Stephen, we used to beat up kids like you in high school. And, you know, that kind of may be true. But on Christmas Day, I started alluding to this. I alluded to the fact, and Tolkien and Lewis actually spoke quite prolifically about this fact, that maybe instead of these stories belonging to some other world, maybe there's a clue within the, the way that our imaginations are captured by these worlds. Maybe, maybe there's a reality where that reality is going to invade this reality. The reality of, of kingdoms and dark and light and where there's going to be a mission and where the fate of the world is going to be resting with some people. And then there's things that are beyond our five senses of understanding. And obviously we as Christians, that is what we believe. That is what we believe is going to be happening. And that's what the series, The Kingdom, is about. Now, not only is this a very cool and not geeky at all introduction to the sermon and the sermon series, but this whole thing that we call Christianity is about this. If I had to ask you, what is Christianity about? I mean, there's about 250 people here in the room. We might get a range of answers. Some of you might say, well, Christianity is just about living a good life and maybe going to church every now and again. Some of you might say, well, Christianity is all about love. Isn't that what you Christians say? It's God is love and therefore Christianity is all about love. Some of you are saying, no, no, Christianity is all about how to get to heaven. So I say the right things and I I get a get out of jail free card and I get to go to heaven. That's at the core of Christianity. Some of you would say, no, 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 it's more narrow than that. It's actually about Jesus. And it's about living the life that Jesus lived and about being on the mission that Jesus was on. Some of you would say, yes, that's all true, but there's a bit more. It's all about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the implications of that, the cosmic and the presence and the future implications of what we would call the gospel. And as we start taking all these ideas of what we might say is at the core of Christianity, we start putting them together, we actually start to see a picture emerging. But to actually help us in that, we've got this thing called the Bible. And in the Bible, we've got this thing called the New Testament, which is really just breaking up history into before Christ and after Christ. And we've got four stories telling us about what lies at the center of Christianity. And these stories are written by four people, Matthew, Mark, you know the names, Luke and John. And these stories have very specific names. They're called the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, and the gospel according to John. Now, the gospel is really another way of saying the good news. And so as these four people write these stories, they're trying to tell us the good news of Christianity. But they zone in very quickly, not onto a religion, but onto a person, the person of Jesus. 
And they tell the story, the whole story of Jesus. But what these authors also do in these Gospels is that they show how the story of Jesus didn't just arrive in a vacuum like it could have arrived in South Africa or, or Russia or China, but there's a context. There's a bigger story into which the Jesus story comes. And as we understand the bigger story, we start to see that the highlights of the Jesus story are fulfillments of the other story. And suddenly we start to realize how it is so relevant, not just to a nation called Israel, but to us and to all of humanity. And so as we allow these people to tell the story of Jesus, something starts to emerge. Specifically, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and if you just say, what is the center thing? Yes, Jesus is the center thing, but what is the thing that he said most about Jesus and what he is doing? And the conclusion you will come to, it is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's mentioned all over the place. The Gospel of Matthew speaks about it over 50 times. He calls it the kingdom of heaven, but it's the same idea that comes out all of these gospels. And so if we're, we're just going to be bouncing over all over here today. But if we start, for example, in the gospel of Mark 1 verses 1. Guys, feel free today to pay through your Bibles and try and stick with me. But we are going to be covering a lot of ground. And so a lot of the references will be on the screen behind me. But this is how Mark opens up his gospel. He says this. He says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he's giving you his aim, what he's trying to achieve. He wants to tell you the good news, the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Then when he goes to the second verse, we're gonna get there in a second, what we're gonna notice is he doesn't go straight into the Roman road. Some of you know what that is. He doesn't go straight into the four spiritual laws. He doesn't go into a formula, believe these five things and you'll go to heaven. He starts telling a story and he starts locating the story. So the very next thing he says, remember, he's about to tell us the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He says in verse two, and it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Like, what's going on with that? I thought you're gonna tell us how to get to heaven. And he starts to locate us in the story of Israel. And he starts to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of a very specific work of God through this nation. And this nation has had prophets and this nation has had hopes and expectations and he's gonna show how Jesus fulfills this. If we go to the Gospel of Matthew, we see the same thing. They just start with Jesus' birth. The Gospel of Matthew and Luke starts with his birth. Somehow that's part of the Gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we spoke about that for, for quite a lot over the December holidays and over Christmas. But what Mark does, he dives straight in. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels and, and he moves at quite a fast pace. And so he says, here's what Isaiah said. And then he talks about John the Baptist. He talks about Jesus getting baptized. And then immediately in verse 14, he says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Remember verse one, Mark says, I'm gonna tell you the good news of Jesus. Jesus says, now I'm going into all of Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So what is this good news? He's about to define the essence of what he came for. And he says this, 
The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And so we're starting to see that the good news of Jesus Christ is the same as the good news of God. And Jesus says now, which is the same as the gospel of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, which is the gospel. It's the same word in the original languages. And as we start going through these stories, Matthew goes on from this story and he says in Matthew 4, so Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then Jesus, if you go look at Sermon on the Mount, he goes and teaches about the life of the kingdom. He shows how you can enter the kingdom and somehow how you are not a part of the kingdom. And then in Matthew 10, he goes out, he takes his 12 followers, his 12 disciples, he sends them out into the world and he says, as you go, preach this message. Guess what it is? The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, I know these are words that probably sound quite familiar to you, but if you were writing the Gospels, you might have ordered them differently. And so what I want to show you is this primacy that the kingdom of God gets from all of these authors and from Jesus himself. So what is the kingdom of God? That's what the series is about. And we're going to go down the rabbit hole. And we're going to explore these things together. And I want to warn you, I know you guys were hoping for an easy start here in 2020, but we're going to start off running and I'm going to have you paging through your Bibles and highlighting things. I know that our PowerPoints are made available to you on the app. So if you can't keep up, they are going to be there for you to just go and look at for a second time. But man, we are going to deep dive Scripture and we are going to explore this theme. And what I'm really hoping for is that we don't come out with an academic knowledge of the kingdom of God, but that God opens our eyes to see His kingdom, and that God gives us a lens to view Him, a lens to view His work, a lens to view this entire world, and a lens to view our role that we play in this incredible mission. And that is what I hope that God does. So so let's dive in. Let's dive in. One of the things that makes it difficult for us to understand the kingdom of God is just our present understanding of the kingdom. We don't have many kingdoms around today. The most famous one, obviously, is the United Kingdom. So the United Kingdom has a queen, Queen Elizabeth II, and her realm is the United Kingdom. And the first thing that probably came in your mind as you thought about her kingdom, the United Kingdom, was a map, right? You thought about a piece of planet Earth known as the United Kingdom. You would know if you're On that piece of land, you would be under her reign and rule. And if you're outside that piece of land, you would not be under her reign and rule. And so for us, kingdom very much, yes, does involve a king or a queen or a sovereign of sorts. But we would say a kingdom is a piece of planet Earth. A lot of these period drama movies, like Braveheart, for example. I mean, that's at the heart of all these movies. It's got a king who's claiming that this part of land is part of his kingdom. And there's another king who says, no, this part of land is my kingdom. And of course, what makes a movie exciting are all the love and the power and the passion in between. But imagine you're in a village in the kind of in-between zone. Now, if this king wins, that means you're now part of his kingdom. But if that king wins, you're now part of his kingdom. And so the way we think of kingdom is about geography and about spatial boundaries. And if you're in that, you're the subject of the kingdom. 
But the way the Bible speaks about kingdom is very different. It has some implications for the subjects of the kingdom. It has sometimes, we'll look at that over the weeks to come, some implications regards to some spatial understanding of kingdom. But the main way the Bible speaks about kingdom is not about a piece of planet earth, a piece of real estate. When the Bible talks about the kingdom, you can put in the word God's reign, God's active rule. So I want to show you one of the many verses that highlights this. Psalm 103 verses 19 says, The Lord Yahweh, when you see all caps like that, that's Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh has established His throne in heaven. This picture of sovereignty and His Lordship. And His kingdom rules over all. So what this verse is not saying is that there's some foreign alien land and that land rules over this land. No, he's saying that Yahweh sits on his throne and he rules. And that rule is referred to as his kingdom. We see this in, in other verses, also not just about the Lord, but about other kings. So there's a famous story in the book of Daniel about King Belshazzar of, of Babylon. Now Babylon most certainly did have a, a changing and shifting and an expanding piece of real estate on planet earth. But anyway, King Belshazzar in the book of Daniel is having a big feast and everyone's there and this hand appears out of nowhere and starts writing on the wall. And you may remember the story and it needed some interpretation. And in chapter five, verse 26, we see the interpretation of one of the words. It's the word mene. And it says here, God has numbered the days of your reign. Some of your Bibles will say of your kingdom. It's the same word in Hebrew. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. So when King Belshazzar died, what ended? Did Babylon end then? No, Babylon ended sometime later. Did the subjects of Babylon cease to exist? No, they continued to exist. What ceased to exist? The reign, the reign of King Belshazzar. And so we start seeing that kingdom of God is his reign and his rule. Something that has helped me, I've just realized how many movie references I'm making today. But, but something that's really helped me is the movie, The Lion King. And it's obviously had a bit of a resurgence with its uh, crazy CGI version of it. And it's pretty awesome as well. But there's that awesome scene in the, in the beginning of the movie where uh, Simba wakes up in the morning and he's like ready to rock and roll and his parents are trying to get a bit of a nap, all right? And he's like tugging on the ears, come dad, let's go. And dad gets up and they go out and they look over the kingdom and they look over, they see the sun rising. And Mufasa, the king, says to Simba, the prospective king, and he says this. He says, everywhere the light touches is your kingdom. Look, Simba, everything the light touches is your kingdom. Now, even in the Lion King, that does kind of refer to a piece of land. But do you remember when Simba says, but what about that dark area over there? And so dad says, like all good dads do, no, that's a dark area. You don't want to go there. So what does Simba do? He goes right there and gets into all sorts of trouble. But the idea is this, everywhere the light touches. And so when it comes to God's kingdom, the way I think about it is everywhere the light touches. Everywhere his manifest reign and rule is having effects and that transcends boundaries. So God's kingdom is at work where he is at work, where his will is happening. Now, maybe you're saying, but Stephen, isn't 
God like king of everything? I mean, isn't he king of the whole world? Isn't that what you always teach us, that God is in control and that he's sovereign and that he is sovereign over evil and he's sovereign over Satan and sovereign over other nations? And so isn't the entire planet Earth his kingdom? And the answer is kind of yes, but kind of no. And we're gonna discover this today and we're gonna discover this in the weeks to come. But I wanna give you two major things this morning to wrap your mind around to help you understand the kingdom of God. And the first one is this. And the Bible speaks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a powerful future hope. The kingdom of God is a powerful future hope. In our minds as Christians, for, for many reasons, more in recent history, we tend to think about we are here in planet Earth. The time will come when Jesus returns and then we're all gonna be in heaven. Now, when the Bible speaks about what's happening now, when that ends and what's gonna continue from there, the, the kind of earth-heaven duality, the Bible doesn't speak about. The Bible actually speaks about ages. The Greek word is eon. You've heard the word eon, right? It speaks about this age and it speaks about the coming age. So let me show you how this comes out. Ephesians 1.21, Paul talking about the reign of Christ and he says his reign is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So what's going on there? Well, well let's go a little bit further. Paul writes to another church, church in Corinth, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says, but the God of this age, again, Jesus and Paul are highlighting two ages. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Who is Paul talking about? Satan. So we start to see an understanding again, this is gonna come out over the weeks to come that there's been some form of coup d'etat and where this very powerful being is having some degree of freedom and he's actually wrecking havoc to the degree that Paul says is almost like a God of this age. And that kind of explains so much of the evil and so much of the pain and so much of the suffering and blindness that we see around us. And so Paul writes to another church in the book of Galatians, so Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So in the biblical imagination, this age is an age where Satan has a lot of control. This age is an age that is an evil age but it's also pointing towards a future reality. Here's another way that Jesus speaks about it. In Mark 10, Jesus is just speaking about those who follow him. And he says, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields and with them persecutions. And the age to come, eternal life. So as Jesus speaks about the age to come, he says there is this dynamic, this is reality that God has always intended to bring, which is eternal life. But that belongs to a future age. And some of you are like, Stephen, hang on. No, we're gonna get there, I promise. So Jesus tells another parable about wheat and weeds, where wheat represents the righteous, weeds represents the unrighteous. And he says, as the weeds are pulled up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels. This is the judgment. And they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
then, so the next age, the next age, the age of eternal life, then the righteous will shine like the sun in their kingdom of their father. So what we start seeing, instead of a earth, heaven duality, we see an evil age and a kingdom of God age. And it's a powerful hope. It's a hope where as we start seeing the, the resurrection, as we start seeing the new heavens and the new earth, as we conclude the entire Bible in Revelation 21 and 22, we start seeing that this is gonna be an age defined no longer by evil and pain and suffering and death, but an age defined by life and God's sovereignty and God's kingdom and God's rule and peace and righteousness and justice and love and everything your, trust, your hearts have truly desired. It's a very powerful future hope, the kingdom of God. But if that's all we needed to know about the kingdom of God, then it is just say, amen, go home. Just hold on tight until, until we die or until Jesus returns. But not only does the Bible speak about the kingdom of God as a future powerful hope, but it speaks about the kingdom of God as a powerful present reality. A powerful present reality. And Jesus was challenged. He drove out a demon and he was asked about this. He was challenged about this. And he says, but if I drive out the demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That was 2,000 years ago. He's not saying it's going to come upon you. If this work of God is happening in front of you, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Elsewhere he says in Luke 17, 21, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. Elsewhere it talks about the kingdom of God being like a seed or being like leaven in a loaf. It says the kingdom of God is among you. So how does this work? That is a very powerful future hope as well as a powerful present reality. Well, that is the tension. Part of the tension, I think, comes to us in the Lord's Prayer. And whether you're religious or not, you probably were taught to pray the Lord's Prayer at some stage. It was never meant to just be recited like it's a mantra. So many powerful ideas in it. But our Father who's in heaven, and Daryl took us to it, not knowing what we're gonna speak about today. But our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, are we being taught to pray for Jesus to return and sift weeds from wheat? Are we being taught to pray for the end of time? No. It says, your kingdom come. What's the other half of that line? Your will be done. That's just another way of saying your kingdom come. Your will be done. Tomato, tomato. Lord, your reign, your rule, the effective reign and rule of God, come into this part of this world. Come into my life. Come into my family. Come into my marriage. Come into this church. Come into this country. Come into the south of Joburg. As it is where you have perfect autonomy and there's nothing that opposes you, may that reality engage this reality. So Stephen, so what is it? Is it a future thing? Is it a present thing? And the answer is a bit more than yes and yes. Probably a better way of saying it is, the kingdom of God is the future has invaded the presence in Jesus Christ. The future of God's kingdom and perfect reign has invaded this present world in Jesus Christ. 
So here's something else, and I apologize from the outset for the nature of the metaphor, because it is about food. But I, I, I tried to think of something else, but I couldn't. So, <laughs> so here's one way that I've tried to wrap my mind around. Imagine you have a real hankering for some other nation's food. It could be Portuguese food, or Italian food, or Japanese food, or Chinese food, or whatever. And you find an authentic Let's say, let's just go with Italian food. An authentic Italian restaurant in Joburg. I'm not just talking about anyone who serves a pizza or a spaghetti bolognese. I'm talking about authentic food as if mama herself from Italy was cooking it. All right, so you go to that restaurant and you discover all the waiters and all the clients there are all Italian. And it's Italian music. And it's authentic Italian food. And for a moment, you feel like you're there. You're still in Joburg. All right, you still got to check out the front door if your car's still there. You haven't left reality behind. But you just start to taste it. You know what that's going to do to you? That's going to, the more you go there, the more you're going to want to save up and go to Italy. Right? And, and be in Italy. Well, you don't have to ask for Italian food. You just have to ask for food. And I think there's something of the kingdom of God that we live in this broken world. We live in this evil age, defined by the works of sin and of the enemy. And we look around us and we see so much. And we say, but Stephen, what about God's reign? What about God's kingdom? And then we understand, but God has actually brought this into this world. And he has started to proclaim the kingdom of God is here. And we get to taste it. And the main reason why I actually stuck with the food idea is because Hebrews 6 verses 5 talks about us tasting the powers of the age to come. We don't in this age experience the fullness of God's reign. But as Jesus has entered this world, He has begun opposing the work of the enemy. And where the light touches, light wins. And we get to taste it. And my prayer and my dream is that as we taste of the kingdom of God and as we are in the middle of darkness and pain and suffering and, and struggle and clear works of sin and clear works of the enemy, that every now and again, we, man, we, we taste it and, and makes us think of the powerful future hope. And it just makes us even stronger yearn for that. What else is gonna happen, by the way, if you find that awesome Italian restaurant? You're going to become an advert for that restaurant. You're going to say, guys, forget every pizza you've ever had in your life. Unless you've been to Mama in Italy yourself, right? Forget every spaghetti bolognese. You need to come to this place and taste the real deal. Here in Joburg. Yes, here in Joburg. And in the same way, the more we taste and see that the Lord is good, the more we get to taste the powers of the coming age in this age, the more we become convinced that it is true and it is real, and the more we become advocates of that and say, but you need to taste it too. And we invite others to be part of just everything that the light touches. And so I want to quote from George Eldon Lepp. Well, there we go. He's written just so much of the kingdom of God, and it really helps so many people understand it for our generation. But this is how he defines it. He says, the kingdom of God is that God is now acting among men to deliver them from the bondage to Satan. It is the announcement that God in the person of Christ is doing something. 
if you please, is attacking the very kingdom of Satan himself. I told you that the introduction to the sermon was not just a geeky but cool introduction. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, Satan? Darkness? Light? Power? Kingdoms invading kingdoms? And if the Bible is true, then my answer to that is yes. I mean, doesn't matter how or, or what you believe in, at some point you need to come to an understanding of why is the world the way that it is? Why am I the way that I am? Why is it that I can never truly get over the stuff and the nonsense in my life? Why is it that I'm continually my own worst enemy? Why is it that I can never get past this? Why is it that humans always make a total mess of things? And even when humans aren't making a total mess of things, why is it that things are always a total mess? We as a church regularly just dive into this kind of discussion and we don't have time for it now. But every worldview has to count for that. And the way the Bible describes it, it says the world is not what it should be. And sin and brokenness has entered this world and there is a being. As far as I understand it, I, I can't account for all the evil in this world just for broken and sinful humanity. There's a being who's behind all this thing as well. And that's going to leave us either in a state of hopefulness or we're going to start recognizing that God has invaded his kingdom. And we get to taste it here and now. And this kingdom that we enter into today is a kingdom that goes on for eternity. And we are gripped by the taste of it today. But we're also gripped by the future hope that one day there will be no more sin and there will be no more death and evil and pain and suffering and everything you hate about everything you hate. So Stephen, how do we know this is true? I mean, this sounds like Lord of the Rings, and of course it does. This sounds like a fairy tale. Really? We're gonna spend some time at the communion table just now. I'm gonna speak more about that in a second. But how do we know this is true? And it comes down to this, Hebrews 2 verses 14. Since the children, that means humanity, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus Christ, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So how do we know that we can hope in this powerful future hope? How do we know that we can taste today of the kingdom of God? How do we know that we don't have to wonder if light or darkness wins? How do we know that we don't have to wonder if my life has any greater meaning or purpose? It comes down to, did Jesus accomplish what he said he did in his death? And so we as a church regularly speak about the reality of the history of Jesus. It's not just a religious idea we have in our hearts. He walked planet earth. He made certain claims, claims which were either a big fat lie or were shown to be true by his death and his resurrection. And if that happened, then everything that I've said today is not a fairy tale, but is a reality that is as real as the chair you're sitting on. And so as Jesus invades this present age, we look back and we see the cross bringing destruction to the power of the enemy. 
and we look around us and we see the signs of the present age, we step into the light, we taste freedom. We step into the light and we taste and see that the Lord is good. And we experience with our lives and not just with our minds the truth of Christ's victory on the cross, which happened on a day in history. And if that happened, then we can for sure have a powerful future hope. So here's the question that I want to leave us all with. The question is this, is are you walking in the light? In other words, are you a child of the kingdom of God? Notice I didn't ask you is, do you go to church sometimes? I didn't ask you, are you a nice person? I didn't ask you, do you try and not look at naughty things on the computer and not say naughty words? I didn't ask any of those things. I didn't ask you, do you raise your hands in church? I don't ask you if you wrote your name down somewhere saying, I am now a Christian. What I'm asking is, are you a child of the kingdom? Because we have a king. And if we are under his rule and reign, by definition, we are going to be defined by his rule and reign. Not my rule and reign or the rule and reign of any other kingdom or any other person for that matter. And so where does your allegiance lie? Guys, let me tell you this, that your allegiance doesn't need to involve killing cats and spraying blood all over walls and, and singing chanting songs and wicca and all those kinds of things to have your allegiance lie with the enemy. Your allegiance can lie with being a good person. But it's you in charge of that. You are the good person. Your allegiance lies with yourself. Your allegiance can lie with your bank accounts. Your allegiance can lie with your comforts. Your allegiance can lie with the things of this world. And if everything that we've looked at today is true, if your allegiance lies with anything in this world, even if it seems good in your eyes, your allegiance lies with the God of this world. So you can be sitting in a church, but your allegiance does not lie with the God of the kingdom. And so that is my very pertinent question to you. Are you in the light? Does the light touch you? And by that, have you submitted yourself to the king? Now what we're gonna see over the weeks to come is the nature of this king. He's a king unlike any other king. And his death shows us the true heart and love of God. But for now, we're gonna leave it there. As we look at this verse that was just on the previous slide, we're going to go to the table. And we're going to recognize that this king, unlike any other king, served us. Because here's one thing I can promise you about any other king in your life. Be it you, be it someone else in your life, be it your business, be it your finances, be it your body, your health, whatever. It'll force you to be its slave. But our king served us, and did for us what we cannot do. And in doing that, he invites us into the kingdom. And so looking at Hebrews 2, verses 14, we see the crux in the heart of our king who has defeated death with death. But he doesn't stop there. We see a risen Jesus who continues as king. So some of you here this morning, 
this may be maybe new to you, just a communion table, and I know sometimes different churches do it in different ways. Just quite simply, the, the little glass of grape juice represents Christ's blood shed for us. We don't do this out of any religiosity, meaning there's no magic to coming to the table. In fact, there's a warning that if we don't recognize it for what it is, we should rather just stay in our seats and just pray and just see what the Lord has said to you. But the little glass of grape juice represents Christ's blood. The bread represents Christ's body broken for us. And I just want you to just hold those elements in your hands and look at this verse, considering its implications for you. And then I want you to choose the kingdom of God. And maybe it's simply just choosing a new, just affirming, just stepping. Maybe you are out of the rut and now you just step back into the light. Maybe God's already started speaking to you about specific areas of your life that are to do with you bending the knee to Him, to the true King. And as you take communion this morning, just drink the juice and eat of the bread. It's an act of worship, an act of recognizing who the King is, what His death accomplished. But it is also an act of submission. So we're going to be playing some music. I'm going to pray and then we'll close in prayer in a few minutes' time. So Father, we thank You that You took on flesh and blood in Jesus Christ. You shared in our humanity And by your death, you destroyed him who holds the power of death, the devil. And Father, as we literally taste grape juice and bread, may we taste the powers of the coming age. May we taste and see that the Lord is good. May we choose the kingdom. The church in your own time, would you come up, take, and then go back to your seats. And we'll conclude in a few minutes with some prayer. Folks, please, you can let the music carry on playing and want to continue in a, a space where we press into the kingdom. We make decisions and we trust God. And what I want to ask us this morning, and we're just going to do it in prayer, is if you're sitting here this morning and you're looking around you and you are struggling with everything in you to see any light. It's like the lights are off. And whether you look inside of you, you look around you, you look at your circumstances or you look at the world around you and you're feeling overwhelmed by darkness. I'm going to ask you if you don't mind. You don't have to say what it is. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. Just keep it up for a few seconds. Just, just, Stephen, I want to believe you, but I, I don't see it. I don't feel it, and I want to believe that. So, a few more moments to acknowledge, man, that you are so desperate to see light in your darkness. My church, let's be the church. There's nothing magic about my prayers. All of us, we are Christians, are children of the light, of the kingdom of God. And we're going to discover in the weeks to come just how we can be representatives of that. And I'm going to ask you, just for, as the music's playing gently, 
someone raise their hand around you. Let's be the church to them. You may want to ask if there's anything in particular that they want some prayer around or about. Don't feel like you have to share. And then guys, let's just lay hands on those who have raised their hands. Let's pray for them. Maybe you don't know what to pray. Just just pray whatever the Lord's praying and someone else is praying with. You can still be praying. And so if someone raised their hand around you, if you can raise your hands again, just five seconds, look, right, five seconds, you raise a hand. We want to pray for you. So over the course of the next five, eight minutes, let's be the church to those who are desperate for the light, praying for God's kingdom to come now that we know what that means. Let's pray, church. Don't want to interrupt anything that's happening, so if you're praying, please continue. I want to read from a passage that I read briefly from earlier, 2 Corinthians 4. Just close your eyes and in light of everything we've heard this morning, hear these words. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for his sake. For God has said, let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you turn back darkness this morning. That you turn back blindness this morning. That your light would shine. And that is so much more than words and strange ideas. But right now, your kingdom is advancing. Right now, you are speaking words of your kingdom against the powers of darkness in our lives and through our lives. That right now, the believers and children of your kingdom are praying in your authority. That right now, you are bringing light where there was darkness. Right now, we are starting to taste the powers of the age to come. Right now, we are starting to see with fresh hope and fresh faith the Holy Spirit, we ask that is your activity amongst us, bringing the kingdom of God here. And God, we trust you to do this. And Father, as we go from this place, we pray that we won't just in our imagination leave the kingdom of God in this room. But Father, as we understand your rule and reign in this world, we would see you, we would see your sovereignty, we would see your defeat of evil, we would trust your death and resurrection. And God, we would see the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit, only you can do that for us. But help us this week to see what you've never seen before. And we pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name, amen.